When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzary Financial Services with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. I'm Tim Priester. A couple days after Notre Dame's 24-16 victory over Ball State, started out very well, and really just kind of contended to deteriorate through the rest of the 60 minutes, and had it been 65 minutes, we probably wouldn't have gone into, would have gone into overtime at that point, but... Um, you know, I mean, the the defense, I, I, I have to keep coming back to the defense. If they don't do what they did in the red zone, it's a different ball game at the end. Tavon Coney all over the place. Jalen Elliott ends that safety interceptionless streak. And the defense really comes through when they have to in order to pretty much save the day. I thought the defense gave them a chance to take over the game in the first half with three consecutive three and outs, then a six and out, then there was an interception. Notre Dame just couldn't score. And you, you can't put a team away when you're constantly driving down. A couple good plays, but then there'd be play, you know, tackles for loss, Big Bush sent some bad decisions. It was so inconsistent offensively that all you got to do is turn two of those five drives into touchdowns and you've taken over this game. Or but just flip, do or flip field position. Yeah, you know, when just, a game becomes a game of punts, it's not a very interesting game to watch. <laughs> I mean, I think it's especially when Tyler, especially Tyler Ball State's playing Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, the, the red zone defense. Riley Neal was item at one of nine for ten yards in that touchdown, which I think was his ninth attempt. I think he was incomplete on his first eight attempts in the red zone. I have one of eight, eight, seven. two of nine with the last one, but whatever. Um, we're in that we're in that ballpark. Yeah, so it was not a. It was a really good performance by the defense overall. I, I know that some people were bemoaning, like, "Oh, the corners are playing off. They're playing softer." I, I think that was the way to beat them because you were going to ask Riley Neal to throw 50 times, which is right. what happened. Well, they tightened it up as them. the game progressed. They, yeah. they tightened it up. Then you're giving him different looks, but I thought Clark Lee was very, very good sort of figuring out what Ball State was doing earlier, and then Ball State really couldn't do anything the rest of the game. Um, I, mean, I think Neal started 6 of 8 and finished something like 17 of 42. So it was, it was never a game where you felt like Ball State was going to move up and down the field and – Put real game pressure on Notre Dame, but it should have been. But it was a like, forty-eight yeah, to thirteen, yeah. not twenty-four. I mean, defensively, when you're when you're giving up less than four yards per snap and less than four yards per pass, <laughs> I mean, I know the optics of it because I know we kept saying to each other, "How can how can Neil's stats be this bad?" As we saw the game progress, and it, so the optics of it it creates an illusion. Uh, because they keep because they ran ninety seven plays and it's like the defense never gets off the field and they and the defense has to I mean they're responsible for that too they gave up twenty four first downs so they had to you know they have to get off, they had to get off the field on the fourth down plays they did great right, on third down right. it would they, uh, Ball State was three for three on fourth down but look the defense is hardly Notre Dame's issue heading into week three. No, we're splitting hairs to go against to talk about the defense in this one. I wouldn't even do that. I yeah, just think the defense played really well. Yeah, right. Like, I don't even I have anything to criticize about no, the I defense. Agree. I thought they were in good shape. I mean, I think they finished at 3.4 yards per play allowed, which if you stretch that over the course of the season would have ranked – I mean, Ball State would have ranked dead last nationally uh, if they averaged 3.4 yards maybe, per play over Maybe the there were some instances where – they could have been a little bit more stout on the runs between the tackles, but again, we're sp- I think you're splitting hairs. Yeah, I mean, offensively, I think they've got serious identity issues. What do they want to be in the run game? That is a real concern to me um, after Brandon Wimbush essentially declined to run the ball um, for the majority of the game until he was locked into runs in the second half, um, and suddenly the offense moved a little bit when it had to at that point. But I just... I think there are a couple things that are are concerning if you're Notre Dame. One is sort of already baked in where the the running back position is the least talented Brian Kelly's had in nine years. And I don't think that's going to change for the next couple games. When Dexter Williams becomes available and Jafar Armstrong grows into the position, maybe that will – you'll get closer to uh, a typical Notre Dame running back room. But in terms of the game plan offensively with the pass game, 
I might be in the minority, but I actually liked what they did with Brandon Wimbush because it emphasized some of his strengths, throwing the ball deep. But the decision-making aspect of it, which Brian Kelly talked about, I don't know if he talked about it Saturday, but certainly talked about it Sunday, was a real, real concern because, I mean, I, I watched the la- his last throw. Notre Dame's up 11. There's four minutes to go. It's third and long. You do not like this last throw. I do not like this last <laughs> throw at all. Um, you're throwing in, even if it was single coverage against Alize Mack, I would be like, why are you pushing the ball 20 yards down the field when Chris Fink is open underneath and maybe he can scoop for a first down or at least can run clock? Um, but to throw it into double coverage to Alize Mack, uh, which was just sort of not looking at the safety and letting him come over in what should have been a pick, I mean... To me, that that's the kind of throw more than the interceptions that if this game had a fifth quarter, I could see Ian Book having played it. I hear what you're saying about the design trying to help Wimbush, but the decision making is not going away. I don't I don't think the decision making is going to get markedly better. Now his right. decision making could get better if he is involved in in running the ball a lot more because his decision making was better against Michigan for the most part. I don't think he can be effective if he's just not running at least 12 times in a game. It gets him into a rhythm a little bit. We talked about this in the press box. He just can't drop back and beat you. It, we're going through a film review and you say, oh, that was a really nice throw. Shouldn't they be once in a while? Well, like, that's, that's, that, 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 but, but see, at least he's progressed and, okay, a guy's wide open, he hit him. And it's nice to have Boykin, you know, I mean, some of the size of, the size of those guys. So I guess in that respect, he progressed. But I don't want to remove the coaching decisions no, out of this no. because Wimbush refused to scramble, refused to keep on read options, but they didn't they didn't call design runs for him, which is a big part of what they do successfully offensively. And again, I'll go back to what I said after the game. If you're not going to do that, then you might might as well play Ian Book if he's not going to be an integral part See, of the running game. I think that's where I would disagree in the in the big picture sense, because if you want to be a vertical passing game. This passing game was very much a Brandon Wimbush passing game, not an Ian Book passing game. So if, if you brought in Book, then it would have to be a lot more shorter stuff, 20 yards and in, opposed to 20 yards and beyond. Why can't, what, what's wrong with doing that? I mean, you could do it if you want. I'm just saying, the. I think in the press box, I felt like they almost sort of ran a um, an Ian Book game plan for Brandon Wimbush. And then when I watched the tape and see where the ball was actually going and how much they were pushing it vertically, I didn't feel that way anymore. Um, if you're going to play Ian Book, you couldn't you couldn't structure the pass game the way that you did on Saturday. The run game might look somewhat similar. Um, I think it would even maybe be more effective because I mean you have they ran 18 zone read concepts against Ball State and Wimbush kept it zero times. They ran 27 of those against Michigan. That's kept astonishing. It, they kept it ten right. times. It doesn't sound right. Either. So the the notion that like there just wasn't anything there, I don't I don't buy that. Well, none of us none of us believed yeah. what Brandon Wimbush or Brian Kelly said with regard to that from the game. Of course not. And I think it's natural to protect yourself a little against Ball State when you get a 28 to three lead. Sure, it's absolutely. just not natural to do it in the first. You, you, there's no reason to be out there if you're going to be the one out there in the first yeah. half and it's a close game. Now. The, the big issue for me is that I don't think the quarterback is the biggest problem going forward because I don't think the offensive line is immediately going to get that much better. And if they play anything like that in the next two games, both of the next two games, there's going to be a problem in the fourth quarter in one of those games, a major, major issue. They cannot – Wake Forest, it's on the road. They've lost a lot of players. Notre Dame doesn't play well on the road. Vanderbilt has 16 tackles for loss. I think Vanderbilt might have better athletes than Ball State's. If they don't play, I, honestly, they're going to play a little better because they can't play worse. But how much more are they going to improve in one week? Do you think their name's offensive line? I mean, I, they can improve a lot in eight weeks. Yeah, I'm I, not saying they can't improve in eight weeks, but there's something structurally wrong right now. I, I do think that the line's probably at a bit of a breaking point where either they're going to get better this week or the staff has to look at, okay, how do we reshuffle this? Right. So I, I understand Brian Kelly on Sunday said, we don't want to throw away the experience of Kramer, Hainsey, Bars, and Mustafa, and I get that. In 2014, Harry Heastan had no problem. Well, I wouldn't say no problem. It was a difficult decision for him to do. But Nick like, Martin broke his thumb, though. Yeah, part he, of they redid yeah. the line three games into the year where they just weren't as effective as they felt With like they Elmer should be in the run game. And, yeah, It was Elmer, Hanratty, I think Lombard. Yes. Um, only one player ultimately right. stayed at the position he right. was playing when the, when that 
after three games. Well, we're going to – obviously, we have – we're hitting quarterback and, and offensive line here in this segment. Obviously, we have a whole bunch of questions about that. But let, let me just add one comment about uh, Wimbush here. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of remedial passing offense, but if he's not – if he's going to – when he goes to his progressions and he's going to come to a double team and just mindlessly throw it in that direction, then – you, then you probably have to go back to if he's open, throw it. If he's not, run it. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you can, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's that it. But yeah, he and where he has progresses, he had some big receivers running deep downfield and, and he hit them. So, so that's great. But, you know, and I understand you, you have to go through progressions as part of being a quarterback and all that. But man, you know, he's got to be able to recognize that when he turns and looks into a double team, he's got to be able to understand what the optics are showing him. I think in some ways maybe you're saying like your progressions are one, two, run, not one, two, three, four. Pro- yeah. Scramble. I, one, right. two, run is realistic. Yeah. yeah. It's, and especially I re- against a better you defense. You know, if you're a coaching staff, you nobody wants to look at it that way with your right. quarterback, especially a guy that now has 14 career starts. But for most quarterbacks, 14 career starts is a lot more uh, in terms of gathering of knowledge than I think it is for Brandon Wimbush. I don't think that he... I, I don't think that he sees things the way a 14-game starter or quarterback yeah, should. Kelly lets that slip in a little bit that it's almost that he's still learning situation because they didn't ask him to do any of this stuff last year, and that was wise not to ask him to do any of that stuff. It worked for an yeah. extremely potent offense last year, but that's to Tim's point that it, it's not necessarily a full year worth of the same reads he has now. But flipping it to something positive again, because the defense did play very well, Jalen Elliott, None of that would have happened last year, and I don't mean the pick that popped to him. I mean the fact that he came up and read a play against Michigan for the big hit. He made a heck of an interception, reading the play as the post-safety against Ball State. Nick Coleman he's stepping aggr- in. He's aggressive now yeah. and attacking the line of skirmish with Alohi Gilman. I, th- I mean, Jalen Elliott's the most improved. Is is there more? I, I, the other guy, Kurt, I, Kurt Heinish, I, wanna, I, I don't know that we're gonna, going to address this in the second segment with questions, but Kurt Heinish in, in, in our Last Monday podcast, I underestimated him, and then I watched the game again and saw great things. And Kurt Heinish is quick; he's 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 creasing gaps. Um, I think he's making an argument for getting more playing time. Uh, you know, Bonner Bonner doesn't make a lot of plays. I've seen Heinish actually disrupt plays, but Jalen Elliott. I mean, that safety tandem is playing really, really good. I, that that safety tandem has played better than any of us could have imagined. At the start of this season, we yeah. were still surprised to see Elliot roll out there the first. Remember when he right? Was, oh, Elliot starting. Yeah, it was. Well, we were still thinking Coleman, yeah. Coleman, because those were the the snapshots we we had gotten in practice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Gilman has been outstanding. Um, I, I love the <clears throat> aggressive nature that he brings to that position, and I think that either that either that's rubbed off on Elliot or Elliot sort of figured it on his own. But they're both play with a little bit more of an attitude now than than they did last Definitely. year, and that's. Uh, it's just a really good place for the defense to be because that I, that's a position that I felt like was going to sort of be a weak spot this year, and it, it hasn't looked like that at all through two games. I mean, you have to get let's. I mean, credit words too. Terry Joseph deserves credit. I, I'm not saying, you know, I think there's a perception that if Terry Joseph is getting credit, then Mike Elko should be blamed. I think Terry Joseph would have went through the same growing pains, yeah. you know, last year. But now those guys have. I mean, Elliott's got a ton of playing experience in it, and he's. He's putting it to use. The last thing I think we should comment on before we end this segment is the job that Mike knew the head coach at Ball State did. I mean, him and his coaching staff, and I credited uh, Billy Lynch, his offensive coordinator, but actually knew has taking over the, taken over the play calling uh, this year. So, But regardless, it doesn't matter. It's like when I give out coaching grades. When I give out grades for coaching, it's not just the head coach. It's the entire coaching staff. Just a reminder to a few people that want me to have given them their grades when they were in school. Um, but Mike New did a, I mean, they did a tremendous job. For me, the biggest thing is his players played like, you know what, we're going to win this damn game. Yes, they did. And that's not easy for everybody to do, especially a MAC team from the state of Indiana coming in Notre Dame Stadium for the first time. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, that little dust up after the Wimbush interception where, I mean, they weren't gonna. They had no problem shoving right. Wimbush. Yeah, that's and Liam, cool. Liam Meikenberg and Meikenberg and Wimbush had no problem shoving them back, but they didn't back down, which was was notable because I, I think that after the first drive, when 
uh, Wimbush hits Fink for that big game, then Armstrong rips off the 40-plus yard run. Like, figure, all right, this is going to be exactly what we all thought it was going to be. It's going to be 52 to 9. Um, but, yeah, they, they took a lot of punches and, and gave a bunch as well. One team made it fun. It was a visiting team. <laughs> they made they made that game a competitive game. It was, now look, Notre Dame's defense did its job. Notre Dame's offense did not. I, don't, I, I wrote about this in my column. I don't want to get into these minutia about all these little things that went right with the offense. Because they, they, those they were are playing basic, ball state, right. and these are basic things to do. And I'm not look. Maybe ball state's going to have a six and six year and play defense pretty well for all we know, right? I mean, they that three four defense. They were shooting gaps. Should the gaps have been there? Should all those gaps have been there? <laughs> not all of them. Right, look, that's there, people can point out all the positives. The overall negative, the overall positive is the defense played well. The overall negative is the offense played extremely poorly, and the offensive line lost to ball state. Yeah, badly. I want you to follow up on your point about Brian Kelly versus Jim oh, Harbaugh. But what Brian Kelly did to Jim Harbaugh last week, Mike New did to Brian Kelly this week. He worked him over. Credit to Brian Kelly against Michigan. Mike New beat Brian Kelly. Other than the fact that he didn't have one, well, that's not true. He didn't have three guys that would make Notre Dame's too deep. And I think, like, when we talk about out coaching, I think a lot of times the focus is too much on X's and O's. Like, sure, Ball State right. had a good game plan, but. In terms of the mental edge and how Mike New had right, Ball who State played, who wired. Play, who played well, who didn't. Yes, yeah, that's, that's versus, on the coaches. Yeah, versus how Brian Kelly had Notre Dame wired. Um, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what kind of reaction Notre Dame gets this week after that because Brian Kelly, I think, has learned how to take blame yeah. more yeah. quickly in post-game scenarios. It doesn't wait till Tuesday anymore. He can do it on Saturday. But... He definitely said the players need to bring more energy, and that's on them. After, and, I, and that I, I agree with, but ultimately the coaches have to get the players into a better spot mentally than they did Saturday. Three, three, times, he, three times he said it's on me and the coaching staff. But he rightfully pointed out, I mean, you know, yeah. he doesn't exonerate the players for not. And I really, you know, here I'm, I've said it all week. It's like, it's the second week of the season. They're not going to have a letdown. It, it's on. And yet. Do you think it's on the coaches more during the week and the players Saturdays? I mean, how much how much is Brian Kelly going to fire you up on Saturday for the Ball State well, situation? Like, I don't know if you he's got to get you like you totally would, focused right. by Tuesday. Did you listen to the the broadcast when uh, I think Catherine Tappen mentioned something to the effect of like on the Thursday practice he threatened to throw people out if they didn't have enough energy on that day? So clearly it was on his mind. Mm-hmm. But and then Tappen said like, well, he didn't throw anybody out. And then I asked Kelly on Thursday. And he said the mature team aspect of it. And then I asked again Saturday after the game, and he's like, well, you know, we're kind of still finding out about this team as well. Because um, I, I think in some ways they, they kind of fooled them. I'm waiting for the first coach to tell us on Thursday, we did not have a good week of practice. Yeah. We had a hangover, <laughs> and we're going to have our hands full. It's You know, it's difficult having coached on a much lower level, but it's difficult after a big after a big game. Like you said, they need to be ready on Tuesday. That's that's tough coming uh, coming off of Michigan in a you know a physical game like that. Uh, but I mean, you bet Thursday you, you there's not contact. I mean, you, you the Hayes have got to be in the barn, though, yes. right? Yeah, right. But somewhere you, along but, the way. But mentally, you would expect that you're okay. You're okay. We're locked in. We know what we want to do offensively. Yeah. We know what we want to do offensive line. We know what we want to do as a coach. You need to see that on Thursday, Tuesday after Michigan. That's still kind of hard. So as long as you see it build from Tuesday. Through Thursday, then you can feel comfortable. There's a Derek Mason, Brian Kelly tiebreaker coming up for the first three weeks. Because Derek Mason is well aware of Brian Kelly's tendencies. Wait, doesn't Vanderbilt also play a three-four defense? <laughs> well, like it's over. <laughs> no, there's. Well, you can, can you imagine Vanderbilt going on the practice field this week, and and you know, I mean, how they feel, the confidence they have against Notre Dame's offensive line, what they saw, the confusion and the, I mean. I know one of the defensive ends and defensive tackles might be pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. On one side, you got to be pretty excited about mm-hmm. that matchup, right? Yeah, no doubt. All right, we, uh, we'll talk, probably talk about all these things again in the second segment. We'll be back. Catanzarite Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanzarite Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to CatanzariteFinancialServices.com. 
Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from Irish Iowa's tailgating. Who underestimated Ball State the most? The fans, the media, Vegas, players, or coaches? Mm, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it's all of the above, above. but I guess if we have to rank them. um, (laughs) I mean, I I thought it was going to be 52 to 9, so maybe I'll put media number one, or at least myself. Media would be high. Vegas would be last because maybe that should have been the spread, right? They probably got people betting on both sides, so they're they're absolved from everything. So it's big what buildings. You think is going to happen? Not <laughs> what yes, exactly. Not what will okay. happen. Uh, we could probably go one media and one uh, B. Oh, we're not coaches okay. and players, right? Yeah. Sometimes they're skeptical fans. I'm sure they're below us for the media. I'm I've sure. No, I'm I, now. Come My on. My mom I, said they could win. Fans four, there? Vegas five. Yeah, she, she said that Ball State could win. She said, "Remember when Murray State beat Notre Dame in basketball in 1982?" <laughs> Digger. Yeah. So there you go. Basketball reference. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, all the. I think we have to say uh, all the above. Although co- no coaches would be last because Clark Lee had his group ready to play. So he he they they knew that they had to play well. Certainly, like I guess Brian Kelly in his pregame, like right before kickoff, was like was talking about like we need to have really good energy today and match Ball State's energy. So clearly, he was concerned yeah. about what might happen, and then it did. The natural worry of coaches, I think, yeah. <laughs> would preclude them from being number one on this list. Um, the look on the face of some of the people we interviewed post game hinted that maybe they underestimated Ball State because they were shocked that that game was went down the way it did. They were. Alex, As everyone should be. I mean, the, the product... Alex Barr is probably the most. Yeah. Maybe Mustafer too. They yeah. wanted to get out of there. They yeah, were, yeah, no, they, I get, they wanted I get no that. part of that. This, this is... So yeah, I mean... Everybody, everybody underestimated. Bar, Barr's quote was, different opponent, comma, energy wasn't the same. And it needs to be the same. We'll bring it next week. So maybe lesson learned, maybe not. We'll see. But clearly they, they realized that they had an issue with looking at Ball State. ND Squid 23. Of everything I saw Saturday, the most troubling and confusing performance by far was the offensive line. It's one thing to struggle against Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich, but the O-line looked completely inept against a much weaker opponent. And that's being kind. What happened and how concerned should I be? What didn't we say about the offensive line in the first segment? I, there were, I mean, there there were just a lot of mental mistakes on top of some physical ones, and it's hard to sort of separate the two because, I mean, we it's kind of easy when you're watching Brandon Wilmer to be like, that's a good throw, that's a bad throw. It's a good decision, it's a bad right. decision. And then you watch the offensive line and be like, okay, does Eichenberg, is he not on the same page as Bars? But then, like, maybe Eichenberg makes a block that looks good, but he should have been doing something else. I mean, yes. that was something that Ryan Harris said to me um, a couple weeks ago. It's just like, you can make the worst play in the world as an offensive lineman, and then it goes for an 80-yard touchdown. Everyone's like, great block! And then you can do your job exactly how you're supposed to, and the play gets blown up and people think you're an idiot. So it's it's very, very difficult to look at the offensive line and know exactly what should have been happening and whether it was a mental mistake, whether it was a physical, physical mistake, or whether Ball State just had a really good call on that blew up what Noray's call was. Take it in total. Forgetting why things went wrong and what has to be cleaned up and if it's mental or physical how concerned should you be about the offensive line concerned okay that's that's my that's how i look at it i cannot tell you exactly why liam eikenberg didn't get to a block or why tommy kramer isn't getting to the hole when he's pulling or why a 220 pound guy from that just transferred from dupage college is blowing up the right side of the line but i can tell you it's troubling yeah, I mean, I, Pete, I agree with what you're saying. I, it, it, I mean, I, I, even even well-trained offensive line coaches, I think, would have difficulty saying, well, I'm not exactly sure yeah. what should have been mm-hmm. done there. But, look, this much we know. The, the footwork of the offensive tackles against a pass rush has been atrocious. That To me, that's kind of a given. The thing that jumped out at me in Ball State is that, and I, again, I think offensive line coaches would agree would agree with this. When you see double teams and then a guy breaks free, then somebody made the wrong decision. You can't you can't double team the least imposing person within that play. You you have to be able to recognize when you have to peel off and 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 assist or make that block as opposed to double teaming somebody that's really not impacting the play. We should probably point out the things the offensive line does well, too. Since I, I mean, I really don't think the offensive line is going to improve that much in seven days. That's why there's, I have a mild concern. I'm not saying a coach and his team can't gel and improve in six weeks. Certainly they can. When they get their hands on them, some of the guys who are criticizing are doing pretty well. 
Right. So when, just when, when straight can, on yeah. power blocking, they can do pretty well. Right. How often that's will they? S- that four star, three hundred pound athletes should be able to right. play. Um, they should be able to maul people. They don't really maul people. That's a, what Wisconsin's offensive line does, and what last year's Notre Dame offensive line did for the most part. The left side. I wonder if they can. I mean, I know the defense handles this a little bit because if they're shooting gaps and they're quicker, but I wonder how much they can kind of zero in on that strength. Uh, well, the opportunity to do that was this past Saturday, and yeah. they they didn't really do it. Tommy Kramer, power blocking is is pretty darn good. Tommy Kramer on the run can't get where he needs to get most of the time. Well, look, Notre Dame's averaging 2.83 yards per carry. Unbelievable. 120th nationally. Unbelievable. So it doesn't matter why it's going badly. It just is going badly, right? That's kind of my, I know we are paid to dissect this, but dissecting it is they're not playing well up front. And it's right. weird to think that they would all of a sudden be great against Vanderbilt. They don't have to be great against Vanderbilt, but they do have to be pretty good. Because mm-hmm. Wimbush won't have a really good game unless he has some protection, too. I mean, they can run the ball, but they can't. I mean, Wimbush could run the ball, but yeah. he still needs some time back there. Well, it's like when I went back and watched the tape, and like whether a quarterback is under pressure or not is kind of subjective. But like, yeah, but I you do a Wimbush, good job of saying it was just basic pressure, right? Yeah, like that's, but, yeah. But my point was there, like, I didn't think Wimbush was under a lot of duress against Ball State, like Michigan for sure. Like they couldn't do anything with Gary and Winovich, but the the performance against Ball State, I thought from a pass pro. Was was fine in some obvious pass situations too. In the first half, yeah. they had a bunch of third and eights, and he had some time. His best one was the fourth and eight that he got to Claypool, Claypool for yes. twenty three yeah, yards. He really, hung he in really, there. really hung in there. But I think that you know, in addition to having difficulty understanding what he's seeing downfield, when he feels that pocket collapsing, he's just dist- clear. I mean, most quarterbacks are. He's right. distracted, but I think he's distracted more, and then really cannot decipher what he's seeing downfield. Next question, C. Frazier, the read option is abysmal with Wimbush, and from my view, it looked like it was misread a lot. How much did poor reads lend to Notre Dame's low rushing numbers and offensive struggles? I mean, a lot. I mean, I, I, but I think for the 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 read aspect of it is more when he should throw it and run it. I think that's that's where the most upward mobility is, is being able to look on the perimeter Fake the handoff to Tony Jones or Jafar Armstrong, and then whip it to Miles Boykin, where they have a, a three-on-two or even a three-on-one in some situations on the perimeter. Now um, you're adding a third component to it. <laughs> it just it's just math, like I know, but he's just but, quarterback. But yeah. the, the two components is, are, are hard enough. Well, it's, I I don't know. I, I guess I'm not disagreeing like, with you, man. I'm just saying you're adding a third component to it, and two of them are hard enough. And I mean, at the end of last year, I felt like for the RPO game to work, the O needed to be a lot better, understanding which option is the right one. And there were some definitely some good things against Michigan. Um, I think there were even some good things against Ball State. I thought the first play of the game was a really nice read where they suckered the corner into thinking that Fink was going to block, and then he slips loose for... Easy yeah. pitch and catch, but there there are a lot more plays like that out on the field to be made that he didn't make. And we're going to get back to Ian Book. I do think those are plays that Ian Book is That's more what I was just making. I was going to say. I mean, why why not just allow Ian Book to to make a couple read option decisions? You know, he's going to make he's going to make the right decision nine out of ten times. Whereas Brandon Wimbush never really makes a, a correct or incorrect. Like you said. The 42-yard run by Armstrong was a read option, right? Mm-hmm. And Jones, the 31-yard was a read option? Yeah, I don't think that one was. Okay. But my point is this. If a, if a big if a running back makes a big play on a read option, it it's okay. It was. So it's not it's not that Wimbush made the correct decision. It's just he handed the ball off and it and it, and it sprung. It was the decision that was correct at that time. That's what you're saying. But I, <laughs> it resulted but in he your, doesn't, yeah. but he doesn't realize yeah. it's the correct decision. My clock says it's one. It's true. Yeah, it's, my clock says it's noon. It's broken. Well, it just happens to be noon, so it was right. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. it. Uh, at Irish Guy eight two eight two, and we want to encourage. We, we use uh, Twitter questions. Yep. Please subscribe to Irish Illustrated. In addition to listening to our podcast, Especially we, if we read you. your Twitter questions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So at Irish Guy eight two eight two, we'll be looking for your subscription. <laughs> doesn't 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 Brandon Wimbush pass better when there is a threat of him running the football? Yes, because there's a, a one less defender <laughs> right. to to read. It's not even necessary. I, I think rhythm is part of it, but just because he's an athlete. But it's it's more what Pete said. 
There's one less defender to read. It is like, and he's a bigger threat. He's a threat. He's running the ball. They have to account for him running the ball. Makes passing easier. Well, the design run to start the third quarter where he goes for nine yards and then completes three for three for, I don't know, 50 yards in the drive, and they score in six plays. That is the perfect example of when he runs, it makes things better for the passing game. Do you guys think point guards are better in two-on-one breaks or two-on-two breaks? There you go. <laughs> the quarterback's better when there's a guy up front, when there's a, a guy in the box and he can throw yeah. downfield. And I do want to say, Irish guy, A2A2, you may already subscribe. That's true. But if he you does. don't, <laughs> but if you don't, we want you to subscribe. Yeah. And we also want at Ben Blockless to subscribe also. Uh, how can Wimbush be accurate when he doesn't set his feet or throws off his back foot? Well, I think that that's okay. He doesn't need to be super accurate if the passing game is built around throws down the field where you're, you have Boykin or Claypool go up and make a play. Um, that's fine. So that I have less of a problem with the throw, like the, the, the play to Mac, the his last throw. My issue with the play was not that he threw off his back foot. It's that he threw into double coverage when they didn't need to do it. If Mac was open, lobbing it in there would have been fine. I thought that he made some really nice throws, whether it's, Back foot, side angle, just drive it. Um, I mean, I think even his third interception, I guess the ball came out of there fine. I think it would have hit Claypool's feet. But there's not, I don't know. It His mechanics at this point, it's can you get the ball there or not? And if he gets the ball there off his back foot, I don't have a huge problem with that. Prefer to watch him run. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying, that they're not going, they aren't going to probably now with 10 games left in the season, harp on every piece of footwork if he is delivering the ball on time and the right decision. Right. The expectation when the season started was that he could go from a 50% passer to a 55% passer. That's what's happened. Yeah. I don't think they have a, I don't think they're sitting there being, bemoaning that fact at all. I think they're they're okay with the 55%. It's me making all the noise over here. I wanted to um I wanted to find... Do you have a dog sound? Okay, now here, here's Brian Kelly's quote from yesterday. I want Brandon, he said, I want him to go through his progressions and be better with his footwork. That's really all we talked about on the sideline, making sure that he was doing the things that are most important. Footwork, read progression, and decision-making. So other than those three aspects of quarterback play, he's really progressing. Those are the those are the basic tenets of of playing the position, so that... I mean that in itself expresses just how far away he is. Those are the those are the basics of the of the position. I think it just that just kind of goes back to the when we say on film, hey, look at that. Hit Boykin for eighteen yards when Boykin had separated by four yards mm-hmm. from the cornerback. He's gotta consistently do that, and we shouldn't be surprised when he does it. Yeah. I, but again, it's like the he had the interception as the second one where mm-hmm. the ball got tipped to the line. It was, it was going to be a nice pass to Boykin. And there was one to Avery Davis that would have been a 10, 15-yard gain that Davis just dropped. Like, Yeah, that was uh, There are just the structure of the passing game. I like what they're trying to do. Um, I, I don't want to see more than one screen pass attempted per game the rest of the season because those are just like, that's like juggling flaming knives. I uh, wish I knew why that they are the only team I've ever it's, witnessed that can't throw screens. Do you know why? Does someone know why? <laughs> Does anyone listening know? No, I, I, like an educated response as to why well, after mean, a year and a half they can't well, get a screen. There was the one, I mean, it starts with a quarterback. Well, I mean, the one screen they tried to throw was, was almost it, intercepted for a touchdown, that one? No, I'm talking about okay. a different one where it ended up as a 10-yard sack where it pushed Ewan back and he missed the field goal. The running back, I think it was Jones, yes, was just yeah. covered up immediately. And then the play, the play is just all over the place. Um it just it, it's confusing why that doesn't click better because in that instance I don't think it really is a quarterback issue. It's the inability to actually set the screen up. Yeah, speaking, of, I, I I wanted to throw in Avery Davis. I mean, Avery Davis, yeah. you know, he, the he had a nice what, move. Yeah, I don't know the, what he does well at, at this point. Well, I think they're probably frustrated because the one the first handoff they got him. Makes the man miss in space. If he just hits it north south, he has six yards on his first carry. Oh, that was he a cuts bad back decision. and gets zero yards. That's one bad decision. Then the alligator arms on the seam. There wasn't anyone there. No, for alligator right. arms. And I mean, that, if you're about that, to get crunched and it's your first career reception, I can see it. it he had no one near him. It was it just came football. right after the the one yeah. where he bounced yeah. out. Here he has 50 games of eligibility remaining. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. As of that's, now, that's I could the good. Like he'll get better. 
and they've got a lot to work with yeah, but for I, a but, long but time. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. But, I mean, Jafar Armstrong has the exact same amount of games, and, and you see him getting better each week. Now, he's more physically equipped. And he was a receiver. And he was a receiver, a right, not a quarterback. Granted, but, I mean, it's, I guess it's a little bit frustrating, the drop pass, the, the really, really awful decision to cut that back. He had another carry where the hole was filled by a defender when Notre Dame's offensive line was playing Ole again, and he had no choice. But he also didn't know how to react mm-hmm. to that. You've got to put your head down and make the best of it. And when the guy filled the gap, it was like, okay, what do I do now? Well, you can't stop moving your feet in that situation. I think it's fair to say Avery Davis has two more games to keep himself in the game plan going forward. Could be. I mean, because yeah. if once you had, if, if the other guys are healthy, yeah. Because once right. Dexter comes back, then of course you're going to give. Yeah, those, or those reps or to I mean, or I would like to see Flemister, who seemed like a misfit for kick returns, but at least you knew you knew he was going to run hard, he was going to run north south, and then he was going to protect the football. I would switch them. Right, Avery Davis to kick returner and Sebo <laughs> Flemister to the no, third back. No, that's a good point. But, Wouldn't you like to see Flemister carry the, carry the football out of the backfield? Because I think. You know, this is, Chip Long believes in him as a power running back who's a north-south runner who's tough. I don't know if this should have been the first segment or not, but um, Notre Dame's kick return team versus Michigan replaced nine players for Ball State, the starting kickoff return team. Really? Nine guys. So that was either the worst kickoff return performance in the history of film, or maybe they didn't think Ball State was quite as good as Michigan. In oh. terms of Wait a minute, Notre Dame replaced... Nine players on the starting well, kick two. return team. I only had two. You had there were nine? Nine guys that started against Michigan did not start against Ball wow. State in the opening kick return. Tony Jones and Kevin Sweeney were the ones that did. Tony Jones got pancaked, mm. and Kevin Sweeney missed a block, by the way. But on Keenan, the... On, Keenan, Keenan, I'm sorry, Keenan. Who is Kevin Sweeney? Anyway, on a, on the punt team, eight were replaced. The punt return, the punt return team re- huh. yeah, replaced That's eight. That's interesting. Oh wow! I actually I didn't realize that. I only I, I I I'm okay with not putting Chase Claypool out on. I agree. Coverage I'm just saying State, that there was pretty clear that when you just decide yeah. Javon McKinley is your best bet to go block out there, that's but a fair Claypool, point. And yeah. Claypool also was off kick return, which I'm fine with. Yeah, because yeah, we, we we know that the, I mean, it's really not different. the Claypool thing as much as yeah. every so, starter came out and you brought in all the guys right. that hadn't played. So of you're saying go ahead and use Claypool, but do it Stanford. Yes. yes, Virginia Tech. We said that pre. We yes. said that preseason. Yeah. You use yeah. Claypool yes. and all. Maybe every road game you have to use the guy to cover things up like that. Because right. you know how those go. Irish Drill Sergeant is a tight game against arguably the weakest team on Notre Dame's schedule. Set up more trap games for the Irish than you previously thought. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. If the offensive line doesn't improve, I, I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily think that emotionally this team will be more vulnerable to trap games because they because of Ball State. But if you're not blocking well. You're going to have that. If Wimbush is going to miss open receivers and throw into double coverage, yeah, you're going to have that. I think um, I'm a pessimist. Not, I mean, maybe not. It's maybe a realist. Last year was the only Notre Dame team that didn't play a bunch of close games under Brian Kelly. I thought they would play eight this year, where it's decided in the fourth quarter. They've played two. It's guaranteed to be eight now. Last year was the one year where Notre Dame did not play close games under Brian Kelly, and they did not. They were hammering people most of the year which is why most of my predictions were about three touchdowns off at some point last year, thinking Notre Dame would win, sure. but close. I don't even know that these... The 2013- did you ever feel that they were in jeopardy of losing either one of these games? Only when uh, when Ball State lined up for the onside kick. That was yeah. the only time. That lasted three seconds. But that- Against Michigan, I don't, I don't know if I... Yeah, isn't uh, that... Maybe like one minute. And we all agree, I wrote this at some point, we all agree that... that I mean, this is astonishing. Ball State had so much more offense for Notre Dame to consider than Michigan ever came close to presenting. Yeah, to they handled both teams, but you don't want to have to finish the game with a recovered onside kick and a defensive stand against Michigan. Yeah. I mean, that counts, the, right? The notion, they could have scored. Like, if Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil cannot play 100% of the snaps for 13 games, like, that's, that's yeah, going that's to kill a, you in November. That yeah. really will. That, that's a really, that's a, a, a hidden stat that, can have long-term repercussions for this team. And it's not, it wasn't, you know, they had to play all 72 snaps. They had to play all, and including plays that, quote, didn't count, what, 99 or yeah. whatever Yeah, yeah whatever and Tranquil and Coney, like, they played 90, <laughs> they gave effort on 99 snaps. Right. In a 97-snap game. Right. Uh, old Mullen, game. what should the coaches be doing more to help the passing offense on a week-to-week basis? I don't know. I mean, I... I, I like the approach to the passing game. Um, it was the decision-making at the from the quarterback position that I didn't think was very good. 
So, I don't know. I, I don't know what the fix is there. I think the only the this doesn't come from the coaching staff. But I guess it could. Is to run it better. Is to run Brandon Wimbush and to run the ball better. Yeah. You won't be an effective passing team without a great running team. There are a, well, yeah. Chip Long has even said we are a run play action pass team. Notre Dame has to run the ball well, or they will not have a good offense. This Twenty five passing attempts would be a nice. Yeah, that's a, it's a comfortable sweet, number. sweet spot to. Uh, you, know, you can't adhere to it at all situations, but I agree with you. That's they will usually win games when they're in that. When Thirty-one they're in that range was too. about three or four too many. Go fight, win, go Irish. That's a that's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, if after the second or third intercept, interception, Wimbush wasn't pulled for a series or two, what circumstances get him pulled? That's a that's a legitimate question. They lose a game. Yeah, that's what he does. Been telling us here offline. That's what I think. <laughs> I think for people wondering when Ian Book will start a game, it will be Notre Dame coming off a loss. And I yeah, start a game, of course. They're not going to come off a win. You mean when he will come into an yeah, important part pulled, of the game? When, he, when he's pulled. You're saying when they pull Wimbush. Pulled in a game? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, well, it, 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 it would think, probably be this week if things transpire yeah, the way I, they I'd did I actually last think week. he will be pulled not for the whole game. No, I think Ian Book will play. In the next two weeks, in competitive game situations where it's not a handoff for a touchdown. Well, and, and now it seems now it <laughs> seems really good now yes. it seems important that yeah, he does. I do. I whereas don't, it yeah. didn't, it didn't going into last week. I, I really, you know, it, it's really difficult. But I, I just I would like coaches. We saw Saban get upset about a question that what wasn't even questioning which quarterback he was using. He, it was just an evaluation that w- that was asked. But the co- I think coaches need to. You know, the whole quarterback controversy, a phrase that I I mean, we, you grow sick of over the years, but it, you, as a coach, you can't worry about it. You just, it doesn't matter if you get asked a lot of questions about it. You have to do what's in the best interest of the position. It's a juggling act that very few coaches have ever figured out how to do. But it is, you, know, you can also look at like, hey, it's just another position like every other position. That's what I will always want to look at it like when I think the quarterback should come out. Just replace him. It's another position. But you know in the long run it no, doesn't I, work that well. No, I get so that. I, it, it, I feel it, that it is way not just that. another position. It's different. Every time you think they should pull the quarterback, don't you just rationalize yourself? Why not? You take the receiver out. <laughs> but it is There's got to be a way, right? Yeah, There's got to be a way to, to, to handle the, the balance. The one way it seems like it would work, as Pete pointed this out pre-podcast, there's not going to necessarily be a split. They're friends, Wimbush and Book. Yeah. And Book has different strengths than Wimbush. You can help your football team, if you use the different strengths, it's just hard to do. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a defense that you play that just plays soft coverage, like they cannot play bump-and-run man-type stuff like Michigan did. That would probably be a good opportunity for Ian Book because you can exploit everything from 10 yards and in. That's a book strength. It's a Wimbush weakness. But if you're playing a team that's really aggressive and gives you deep shots, stick with Wimbush. I, I think you're underestimating – the intermediate stuff with with book. I yeah, mean, I no, don't. I, I mean, it doesn't have to be ten. It, oh no, it doesn't I have to be fine. ten to twelve yards. He's no, capable I, I think, of throwing twenty to twenty five yards. Sure, he is. Come on, man. Sure, his arm's not. That. I just, I just wouldn't say that would be a strength of his game. I, I think that the crossing route type stuff, like that pass that Davis dropped, or the one that got picked off when to Boykin, I think those are really yeah. smart throws. Okay, for eighteen book. to twenty two yards. You'll give me that. Sure. <laughs> But it's like all right. Well, let's walk it off and make sure. <laughs> yeah, Wait, you say. can throw it. Don't throw it. Oh, okay, it's 20, 21 yards. Go ahead. But I'm just like if you, I think Wimbush. So he had thirty one pass attempts, and I think ten of them were twenty yards or more. That wouldn't make any sense to do with Ian Book. Um, I think Wimbush only threw two passes between zero and five yards. That wouldn't make any sense to do with Ian Book either. Like you just are, and you can win a game a bunch of different ways. Um, but. Don't you think? I, I just think the notion that they would run the same offense is, which Brian Kelly has tried to advertise, is just not true. I guess is it a function of Ball State's defense that Wimbush didn't throw passes under five yards, or a function of the fact that he's poor at it and the, the coaches recognize it? I think the second it? one. I think definitely yeah. the second one. Then, I think there's a there's a whole bunch of outcut passes to be made by Ian Book. What did Chuck Martin tell us once, though? We never got in the film room and say we lost because of those seven-yard hitch routes, right? <laughs> well, that's true. He can, can throw those, too. But I think there's a whole bunch of 17, 19, 21-yard out routes that, that, A, he's going to throw mechanically correct. B, he's going to release them on time. You know, C, they're going to get to the receiver at the proper time of his cut. That was after the Michigan-Denard game, by the way, when he ran for all those yards. Yeah. Because we were complaining about the seven-yard <laughs> hitches. 
Tell you what, man, we never went to the film room and said, oh, we lost that game because of all those seven-yard hitches right in front of us. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes coaches can break it down nice and simply for you, too. It doesn't Clark have to be. He has that same perspective. Great. At Tom Bregner, the defense already has an identity under Clark Lee. Are we overlooking Chip Long as the second-year coordinator? The offensive personnel and identity don't appear to match, and his tight end group appears to be regressing or not emphasized. I, I, I like the direction that Chip Long is is going in his evolution as a as a, uh, a play caller. I don't agree with the lack of design runs for Brandon Wimbush, especially in the first half this past week. But you're not going to. I'm not going to throw out everything I that I believe in him as a play caller based upon the Ball State game. the Ball State yeah. game. Right. He had a heck of a day against Michigan. I mean, I know that yeah. Michigan shut him down in the second half, but we, that's because Michigan had better players up front we, than Notre Dame. Yeah. We look, how many times have I said this? We change our opinion every seven days. You can't, you, you can't do that as a coach, and you, I don't think you can do that as uh, people in our line of work. I think you, you have to understand that it's a, it's a seven, every seven days you're judged, but you can't throw too much weight on what just happened. Yeah, I, I think Long's fine. I mean, they spent so they invested so much time in figuring out what Brandon Wimbush was and wasn't over the off season. I think that now that they're going to have to have a similar accounting of the offensive line, right? Um, that's my answer. and that's yeah. and that's fine. Like, I, people always like the notion that a coach is like learning on the job. People throw that out as like a negative, like that's an insult. Like to me, that's a positive. Like, because if what's the alternative? <laughs> just like not learning on a job damn it we're blitzing like it's like coach, yeah that's what you do coach, just, but it's third and one just, like, just blitz it's uh, to man it works <laughs> so i'd rather see coaches evolve and do different things and i think we've seen different things and different play calls from chip long this year and i think that we'll continue to see that that's all good that's all that's all positive but you know i think it was going to be farther along in game two yeah how can a, how can a Notre Dame fan not favor Chip Long after the way he came in last year, recognized that he had a great offensive line and a and a real quality college running back. And they pounded the rock, man. I mean is uh, and, and Nordian fans have been begging for that for quite some time. So I, I get the frustration after Ball State, but I think Chip Long is trending in the right direction. I think he's hamstrung by his offensive line at present. And I mean right these first couple yeah. weeks. That's, the way he was that... hamstrung by his quarterback you know he, last year yeah. as far as being a complete offense. Uh, at Rough Sully again, please subscribe to Irish Illustrator. Are you are you changing your win total prediction to eight? No, I no, mean I, I think that this was the same question that we closed last Monday with, and it was ten. How, yeah, we, but it, we didn't no, change though. Nobody changed. No, no it no. was. I thought it was nine and three, but now I think the second most likely is ten and two. Now I'm kind of back to I think it's nine and three, but, but that's the question. I think I agree. I, I think the second most likely yeah, is and, until the offensive line shows more, which, as Tim said, every seven days. So in the next two oh, games, no, the I'm offensive win. line has to win, right? They are better. They have to be better than Vanderbilt and Wake Forest, or they are in a lot of trouble the following two games. Yes. Is there any argument against that? That the offensive line better be better than Vanderbilt well, and Wake still, or Stanford and Virginia Tech are going to have some fun at their expense. I'm still not going to change to eight and four because. They've got a defense yeah. that, that is that we haven't changed continues our picks, to get. No, right? we're not. Neither, is, none of us. Have, I think this is the secondary pick question. I think you just didn't yeah, say yeah. it right. No, it's a. Yeah. I, no, I like it. Yeah. I like it's it's a it's a great debate. But we we didn't change last week, and we're not going to change they're gonna now. Be, they're going to be four and zero. Oh. So you're going to tell me they're going to finish four and five in their last nine? No, games? they're going to be four. You're, uh, O'Malley's, I think, I think O'Malley's making faces over here. No, four I, and four. I, no, I think they'll be four and zero. But just like I wrote in June, I think one of these next two games is going to come down to something in the fourth quarter. That's okay. I mean, that's yeah. Football. It is. It is. No, I agree. I just don't. I think people are going to be frustrated for two weeks because they're not going to obliterate people with the offensive line right now. I still think like I I'm, I feel as confident today as I did before Ball State that they'll be six and one going into the the final five game stretch. I, yeah, my math's right on that. So they'll they'll beat Pittsburgh. They'll win. The you're next getting two. to the bye, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll they'll split Vatek and Stanford. Then they will beat they will beat Wake, Vandy, yeah. and Pittsburgh. I'm I'm in, I'm I'm with you on that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't bet the other scenario, but I'm not confident in what you said. What's the other scenario? That they would seven, have... seven and zero or no, five no, and two. Five and two. I okay. wouldn't. Five and two. I would okay. not. <laughs> why are you looking at me? Like I would that? not bet seven and zero. But okay. I wouldn't bet seven and zero preseason. So why would I bet seven and zero? Maybe maybe that's like a more interesting sub question to this question is like are are they more likely to go five and two or 
seven seven and zero. Right. Because we all think six and one. So I, I would say I five think and I'd two. Probably say five and two. Okay. Right. That's fair. That's a fair way of looking at it, right? Instead of zeroing in on one game here, because we all had them at six and one. Well, right? uh, we, I, yes. you, yeah. The the whole notion of and you've heard me say that the whole notion of picking games when it when it's the second or third week of September, we're picking games in October and November. Really. I mean, we. I bet it, I can pick the record. It's not basketball. It, it's not baseball. It's it's football. Where so many things can happen. It's like assessing defensive lines in June. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like creating an entire series of? No, I'm just saying Northwestern day. lost to Duke. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, did you see Malcolm Perry's touchdown for Navy? I did not. You no. might want to. Everyone listening, pull that one up on YouTube. Okay, it is. Out of this world. Really? Yes. It's about a 15-yard run, yeah. and I think 13 defenders miss him. Yeah. It is ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> they bounce back and won. Maybe he's one-on-one. November, coming up. Just yeah, like no know. doubt. And, you know, the reference to Northwestern is my infatuation <laughs> with their D-line this summer, which I still stand by the DNs, but obviously... The sad thing is, had you not brought it up on the podcast post-summer, people would not have remembered. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it was the and double then, down. If you've, if you've seen Northwestern play a little bit here the last two weeks, you realize that their defense is not very quick. Now, I still stand by 3.25 yards per carry against them last year. But man, I'm backtracking on that, that those comments on Northwestern. All right, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday to give you a little better idea of just what Nordame will be facing this week, this weekend when they when they face Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt two and zero with victories over Middle Tennessee and Nevada. Not great opponents, but not lousy opponents either. They played well on both sides of the football. So Nordame better bring it this uh, this Saturday, and we'll talk about that on Thursday. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. <laughs>